and it's lights up from another episode of the Breaking the Chain podcast where we will discuss everything from the Bahrain Grand Prix. Firstly, I would like to apologise for the lack of a Amelia Romana Grand Prix podcast and a Turkish Grand Prix podcast. I had exams both weeks and didn't have time to do the podcasts. So, looking back. One of the talking points from Imla was that Max Verstappen retired from the race with a pretty spectacular right rear tyre failure. Max was coming into the Tamburello chicane turns 2, 3 and 4, and on the entry to the corner the tyre let go and he slid off the track and into the gravel trap, with the safety car being deployed because of where Verstappen's car was. George Russell had an amazing race and was in P10 and on the run down to Aqua Minerale turn 11, he dropped it behind the safety car while trying to get temperature into his worn and cold tyres on lap 53 and crashed out of the race. I felt really bad for him, as he has been in F1 for almost two seasons and is yet to score a point. Mercedes, for the seventh time in a row, were crowned Constructors' Champions in 2020. Mercedes have been the dominant force in F1 ever since the inception of the Turbo Hybrid era back in 2014. The team were leaps ahead of their competition with their engine back in 2014, and while everyone else has been playing catch-up, Mercedes have been out there winning races and championships. Moving on from Imla but still looking back, one of the talking points from Istanbul was the track surface. We knew it would be very slippery, like in Portimao, as the track had been newly resurfaced, and we saw the drivers sliding around all weekend long, and then came the rain which only made things more difficult for the drivers. The Istanbul weekend was marked by Lewis Hamilton equaling Michael Schumacher's record of seven world titles, and also Lewis was able to win the race just for good measure. Not content with all those achievements, Lewis is already moving forward, as are we, as we move into these news stories from the last couple of weeks since Istanbul. Sauber have confirmed a contract extension with Alfa Romeo to keep running the team. This is great as Alfa Romeo, since buying a stake in the team in 2018, have been able to put in the very much needed money to help keep the team in Formula 1. Talking of Alfa Romeo, they have also confirmed that they will retain drivers Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi for 2021. The stability and continuity of drivers will help Alfa Romeo develop and help them get back on track after a relatively disappointing season and build better foundations for years to come. I look forward to seeing both drivers at such a great outfit, with Kimi providing the experience and mentoring for Antonio Giovinazzi. F1 have announced that there will be another night race in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for 2021. It is good to see F1 branching out to other countries, not just in the Middle East, but all around the world, and getting more fans interested in F1. W Series, the female F1, will also have eight support races next year alongside Formula 1. This is great because it means we as fans will get more on-track action across the weekend to keep us entertained, and we will also get more chance to see the very talented women racing at the very peak of motorsport. And now, before we get to the on-track action, it's time for On This Day in F1 History. 
On this day in 2005, the Toro Rosso team announced Scott Speed, who would be driving for the team in 2006. He became the first American driver to race an F1 since Michael Andretti in 1993. Do you think he used to sit in his car on the grid saying, I am Speed, like a certain Lightning McQueen in Disney Pixar's Cars animated movie? Sadly, Speed did not live up to his name and was eventually dumped by Toro Rosso in 2007. The rising star Sebastian Vettel. I wonder whatever happened to that Vettel guy and where he ended up and what he achieved in his career. I'm going to start doing a few new sections in this podcast on Formula E, Extreme E and W Series. Where I will be having a look across all those championships and be talking about what has happened at each race weekend. Formula E is an all-electric racing series that takes racing to a whole new level. The events are set upon street circuits, meaning there is little room for error. And if they make a mistake, they will often end up in the wall. Formula E had its first E-Prix back in Beijing, China in 2014. Formula E is different in the way it is run, because in Formula E, practice, qualifying and the race are all held on the same day, whereas with Formula 1, a race weekend takes three days. Extreme E is the first sport that is built out of the concern that climate change is having on our planet. The goal of Extreme E is to use electric racing to highlight the effect of climate change on remote off-road environments around the world. Think a more global but electric Dakar. Lewis Hamilton has already set up an Extreme E team called Team X44 to get involved with the fight against climate change. Carlos Sainz Sr. has also set up an Extreme E team called AWCIONA Site XE Team. I don't think anyone would want to go up against Sainz and his co-driver Sainz considering they've won the actual Dakar Rally three times on four wheels and ten times on two wheels respectively. W Series is an all-female racing series which has the mission to change the face of motorsport. This series will run alongside Formula 1 for 8 races in 2021, so it will be interesting to see if there will be more female drivers coming into F1 in the coming years. Anyway, that's enough news and history for one week, let's get bang up to date with the race weekend itself. So, assalam alaikum and welcome to Bahrain. Nothing really happened in FP1 in Bahrain, as the session is usually largely irrelevant as the race is in the night, whereas the first practice session is always in the day where the track temperature is usually in the high 40s, and so not really representative of the eventual racing conditions. In FP2, Pirelli had another tyre test organised, where the teams had to do six timed laps on the C3 compound for next year, the views of some of the drivers about the grip offered by this new compound were less than complimentary. So we shall see where Pirelli go from here in terms of more testing before the end of this year and over the winter off-season. Alex Albon had a massive crash on the exit of turn 14. He went wide on the exit of turn 14 and he caught the car but then it went the opposite way and sent him into the wall which brought out the red flag. Straight after the cars were back out on track, the session was stopped because there was a dog, yes, another dog, or possibly the same dog from Istanbul, who was clearly an F1 fan, running across the track. Luckily, the dog found a hole in the fence and got out and away from the circuit. The dog was later found by Bahrain Rescues and is in the care of the Bahrain Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, BSPCA, and was checked over by the vet. In FP3, the stewards were monitoring track limits at Turn 4 in FP1 
and FP2. With any driver running over the white line on the exit would get the lap time deleted. But in FP3 we got confirmation that those track limits had been dropped. I know I keep saying this, but the stewards need to stop changing their minds about track limits during the weekend. If they are going to police them at a particular corner, that is fine, but they need not to change their mind halfway through the weekend. So now on to qualifying. In Q2, Carlos Sainz Jr. had a brake line problem on his McLaren, where the rear axle locked on the way down into turn 1. Due to this, he ended up spinning and the red flag came out. The best way I can explain this is if you've ever been in a car and the driver has pulled up the handbrake on the car, that is what Carlos would have felt only at over 300 kilometers per hour. You would think that given Carlos Sainz Sr.'s long and illustrious use of the handbrake in his career in rallying, that Junior would have done a bit better controlling the car. And now on to the race itself. The start of the race was clean until we got to the exit of turn 3 where Roman Grosjean's Haas careered into the outside wall and the car burst into flames. From the 53G impact, the car was torn in half with the survival cell with the halo piercing the barrier. Now, when the halo was introduced, lots of us fans were worried about what the cars would look like with a giant flip-flop on the front. And from a driver's standpoint, they were concerned about whether it would be able to work as intended to save a driver's life. In this case, if the halo had not been there, it could have been a completely different story. The marshals at the Bahrain circuit need to be congratulated on their bravery as without them, these races would not be able to happen. Two other people that need to be congratulated are Alan van der Merwe, who is the driver of the medical car, and Dr. Ian Roberts, who is the chief medical officer for the FIA. Motorsport in general is and will always be a dangerous sport. We are lucky that we are not losing drivers every single weekend, thanks to the safety measures that the FIA have put into place. But these things still happen with the tragic death of Antoine Hubert in the F2 feature race at Belgium last year, or Jules Bianchi's crash at the Japanese Grand Prix in 2014. David Croft up in the commentary box said, don't forget they, the drivers, risk their life on a weekly basis for our entertainment and our enjoyment. And if ever there is proof of the dangers of motorsport, well it is the wreckage of the Haas car we are watching now. If any of you think the halo looks ugly and you don't think it can save a driver's life, then you are hugely mistaken. Any conversation about the halo looking ugly and not making the drivers be able to get out of the car surely ends now. The second start was clean until we got down to turn 8 this time when Daniel Kvyat in the Alpha Tauri went for a gap down the inside that was not there and in turn flipped Lance Stroll in the racing point upside down and out of the race. Again the halo doing its job by giving Lance the space he needed to get out of the car. Daniel was given a 10 second time penalty for the incident with Stroll. Only three laps from the end of the Grand Prix, Sergio Perez retired from the race on lap 55 with an engine failure. This is very unusual as the Mercedes power unit is the most reliable on the grid. So after quite a dominant and red flag affected Bahrain Grand Prix from Lewis, he won the race for Mercedes. Didn't make any mistakes today, so really it was very difficult with the uh, after the Roman thing to just kind of get back in the zone after an hour out the car. And I have to say the Red Bulls were fast today. I mean, it was not easy. 
to to keep him behind. I, got, I was able to get a gap, but then it just kept closing and opening and closing. It's some really good pace. So um, it was flat chat the whole way, but also trying to look after these tyres too. Um, so yeah, we've got to keep an eye out because they are <laughs> they are um, definitely threatening us, you know. So got to keep working hard. Max Verstappen came home in second for Red Bull. Yeah, we had good pace, but not good enough. I mean, I mean, they were just a bit faster than us every lap. Um, even though I think we could have done a better job with strategy, we could have put a bit more pressure on them. We had the tires to do so, and we didn't take advantage of it. We let them uh, pit earlier than us in the beginning. So that's where you lose one half, two seconds. Then I had to close that up with the hard tires because I think the hard tire was a better tire. But yeah, you are just on the back foot. Then we had a slow stop. And uh, yeah, the, the last stop um, yeah, was a bit late into the race, of course, because of the red flag and safety car. But overall, you know, second is where we, uh, of course, belong, I think, today. But I would have liked to see a bit more pressure on Mercedes. You know, we could have done it. We had the tires to do so. so. With Alex Albon coming home in third for Red Bull, making it a 2 3 for the team. It was one of them simple races that I was kind of needing. And uh, we had a good start, which pretty much changed the race, which normally we, we've we been struggling with. But this weekend, um, it's been pretty good. So, uh, yeah, obviously, unfortunate for Sergio, he was having a very good race. Um, but, you know, we were, we were in the right place at the right moment and uh, a podium, a double podium for the team. Uh, yeah, very happy. Is it a little bit of a relief? Um, it's just a massive boost of confidence because you've often said you're, you've got the speed. just yeah. has to come together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't even feel like a relief because of the, in that sense. It just felt like we just needed to wait for it to fall into place. And, uh, and of course, we had a bit of luck today. But at the same time, um, again, it just feels like things are going the right way. Hopefully we can uh, keep chugging along and uh, have another good, two good races. We'll be in the desert again next week and more specifically Bahrain for another race in Sakir for the Sakir Grand Prix. And so we've reached the checkered flag. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Wadam, thank you and I'll see you in Bahrain again next week.